morning, everybody. It's good to be back with you uh, today. For those of you I haven't met, my name's David Mitchell. Uh, last week, if you were here at Vintage, you would have heard the superb teaching from Dustin. I'm not sure if you were here for that, but uh, I was here for the 10.30. It was a tremendous teaching. So good, in fact, when I got back to my car, my wife said, that might be the best teaching I've ever heard at Vintage, which was cool, except I had to remind her that I also serve on the teaching team at Vintage. And uh, so I got to up my game, I think, this week. Um, my son, our eldest son, he's eight, and he's learning this, how to do this, sort of. Okay, he's trying to learn this, which is, I find it adorable. And, um, but he's in this season of life, they, they don't tell you about this in the parenting books, but the other, uh, the other day at dinner, we're having a conversation, and he asked me what a company is. And I said, Daddy, I said, son, you know, Cooper, uh, you know, a company is like a team of people, a group of people who they, they build a product together, like uh, here in Fort Collins, Otterbox is a company, they build phone cases. He says, oh, what does your company do? I said, well, Patterson Center, we don't, we don't really build anything. We, we believe, I'm trying to put it in eight-year-old language. I said, you know, we, we believe that every person, every team has a unique contribution to make and, and we try and help them discover what that is and live into that. He says, huh, company. Uh, and so, <laughs> so <laughs> I thought it was really funny. Um, but that's what he's learning at the moment. Um, but I share that because we're beginning a five-week series today. And the title of the series is On Purpose. And some of this flows from the work that I get to do Monday through Friday in my, in my work. But it also flows from my own personal uh, experience and what I feel the Lord has been speaking to me. So over the last four, five, six months, what I feel the Lord has been uh, sharing with me over and over again is a reminder about the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. In the parable of the talents, we get this picture of this investor, this master. It's a picture for us of God. But this, this master, this investor, gives talents to three servants. It says, according to their abilities. To the first servant, he gives five talents, the second, three talents, and, and the third, one talent. And then the master goes away on a trip. The master returns and asks them what they've done with what's been invested into them. The, the one who received five has doubled it and is given more. The one who received three has doubled it and is given more. But the one who had received only one talent, well, he was afraid. And so he buried what he'd been given. And what I feel is so important for us to grasp onto and hold onto is this reality that the one expectation of the investor is this, don't bury what you've been given. That the invitation of the kingdom is that what has been invested into you has to be put at risk. The courage that's needed, the tenacity that's needed to take what has been invested into you, right? The parable of the talents teaches us that God is the world's biggest investor, bigger than any hedge fund and venture capital firm, private equity fund, whatever. He's investing unique talents into the world every single day. And yet today, the greatest wasted resource on the, in the world is, is human talent. It's buried everywhere around us. It's buried in our schools. It's buried in our families. It's buried in our workplaces, right? The Gallup polls show that 70% of Americans, uh, the work they do each and every day, 70% of Americans are dissatisfied or strongly dissatisfied in the work they do each and every day. I would suggest that's because they're showing up in the workplace. We're showing up in the workplace and our hearts aren't being tapped into and our talents aren't being utilized. And so everything that God has invested into us is, remains buried. 
And so over the next five weeks, we're going to journey together through this journey on purpose to learn what it means to live on purpose, work on purpose, parent on purpose, love on purpose. And we begin today with the question of identity. Because it's hard to know why you're here if you're unclear on who you are. I would suggest that today in 2021, identity has maybe never been more confused. See, every day when we're searching for who we are in our identity, we're, we're looking for double taps on Instagram. We're looking for love and likes on Facebook. We're looking for retweets on Twitter to tell us something about ourselves. We define ourselves by our bodies or our bank accounts. We are searching for this affirmation that we're a successful person, a, a powerful person, an intelligent person, a pretty person, a handsome person, and on and on and on. And we get lost in that sea of words. That those words that don't even begin to describe the unique identity that we've each been created in. And so if we're going to begin on this question of identity, answering the question, who am I? The invitation is that if we're going to pursue a purpose that is bigger than ourselves, we need to be listening to a voice that is bigger than ourselves. We need to be listening to his voice and what he has to say. The apostle Paul knew this. Right In Ephesians 2 verse 10, he writes this, we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared beforehand for us to do. Every single one of us, a masterpiece. And yet too many masterpieces remain hidden and buried. Think about this for a moment. Every single day on planet earth, 385,000 babies are born. Every single one of them with a unique imprint, a, literally a unique fingerprint, but also a unique identity. If you've ever held a brand new baby, you know this to be true. You sense something about the uniqueness of that individual. And that's true today, that everyone in this room, we have a unique imprint, a unique identity, a unique purpose that we've been created for, a unique masterpiece. What defines a masterpiece? Something that's rare and not replicable. And that's true about every single one of us. The Apostle Paul tells us that. And yet what breaks my heart is this reality that so often we feel far from the purpose we were created for and we don't know how to access the identity that we have been created in. And we want to go on this journey together to live on purpose because we don't want one more of us to experience what the American essayist Henry David Thoreau said over 200 years ago when he said the mass of humanity lead lives of quiet desperation and die with the song still in their hearts. You wander through a graveyard, a lot of songs that were never sung. And the invitation, or I should say even the responsibility of being a masterpiece is rather than living a life of quiet desperation, living a life of anthemic worship, living a life that mirrors the unique identity that you've been created in. But so many of us, for so many reasons, die with the song in our hearts. And if you've ever felt this way, if you've ever felt this transportation from a masterpiece to a life of quiet desperation, well, you're in good company because one of the greatest leaders in human history felt this way too. He wasn't sure why he was here. He wasn't even sure who he was. See, we first meet Moses as a little baby, a little child. 
I love what it says of him in Acts 7 verse 20. It says, Moses was no ordinary child. Owen McManus would say it like this, none of us are born ordinary, but too many of us die ordinary. Somewhere along the way, we trade extraordinary lives for an ordinary existence. Somewhere along the way, we trade a life of anthemic worship for a life of quiet desperation. And a tragedy in Moses' life at age 40 would transport him from a life of a masterpiece to a life of quiet desperation. We meet Moses in Exodus chapter 2. The context I should share with this is that Moses, when it comes to the question of identity, Moses had a confused identity. See, he was born an Israelite, but he was raised as an Egyptian in the palace. So he's uh, in Egypt and his people, the people of Israel are slaves, but because he was raised in the palace, he gets to live a different kind of life. And so right in that moment, we understand that his identity is confused. There's, there's two pulls going on in his life, pulling him into who he was, how he was created and how he was raised. And in Exodus 2, we read this about him beginning in verse 11. It says, many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his people, the Israelites. He saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrew slaves. After looking around to make sure no one was looking, Moses killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. The next day, as Moses was out visiting his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. What are you doing hitting your neighbor like that? Moses said to the one in the wrong. Who do you think you are? The man replied. Who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Do you plan to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Moses was badly frightened because he realized that everyone knew what he had done. And sure enough, when Pharaoh heard about it, he gave orders to have Moses arrested and killed. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and escaped to the land of Egypt. So from this tragedy at age 40, we then can fast forward with the tape to meeting Moses again at age 80 in Exodus 3 and beginning at verse 1. It says this, One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He went deep into the wilderness near Sinai, the mountain of God. Suddenly, the angel of the Lord appeared to him as a blazing fire in a bush. Moses was amazed because the bush was engulfed in flames, but it didn't burn up. Amazing, Moses said to himself, why isn't that bush burning up? I must go over to see this. When the Lord saw that he had caught Moses' attention, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, God told him. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Then God said, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he hid his face in his hands because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said to him, you can be sure I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries for deliverance from their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come to rescue them from the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own good and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites live. The cries of the people of Israel have reached me. I have seen how the Egyptians have oppressed them with heavy tasks. Now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh. You will lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. 
But who am I to appear before Pharaoh, Moses asked. How long can you, how can you expect me to lead the Israelites out of Egypt? Then God told him, I will be with you and this will serve as proof that I have sent you. When you have brought the Israelites out of Egypt, you will return here to worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they won't believe me. They will ask, which God are you talking about? What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied, I am the one who always is. Just tell them I am has sent me to you. In this story of Moses, we get uh, clues, we get insights into the search of identity and purpose. And in Exodus chapter two, I just wanna linger there for a moment and surface what I think are four questions that invite us from that text to consider our own pursuit of clarity about who God has made us to be and what he's made us for. Question number one is this, what have you buried? You see, in Exodus chapter two, Moses murders and buries the Egyptian. But the great tragedy is that that day Moses buried so much more. He buried his heart, he buried his talents, and he buried his identity. See, for, for so many of us, we've buried so much from the mistakes that we've made, from the bad things that we've done and from the bad things that have been done to us. We buried parts of ourselves that were created by God to be seen and expressed as a masterpiece. And here, Moses finds himself not just putting on dirt on top of the Egyptian, as tragic as that is, but, but for the next 40 years, he piled dirt on himself. And so the invitation of Exodus 2 is to ask ourselves and pause, what have I buried? What parts of what God has invested into me? Remember the parable of the talents. Don't bury what you've been given. We bury it because of fear. Remember it says of Moses that he was frightened, so he ran. So question one is, what have you buried? Question two is, what is keeping you hidden? You see, in Exodus 2, when the Israelites challenge him, Moses says to himself, surely this thing, surely this matter has become known. The word, the Hebrew word there for this thing, this matter is the word hadavah. It means the thing spoken. It was as if the mistake that Moses had made was speaking over him and keeping him hidden. Seth Godin in his latest book, The Practice, will say, hiding is pleasant if it weren't for the way that it leads to a thousand small deaths. I don't know about you, but I know what it's like to live a life hidden by the things spoken over me. You see on the late night talk shows, you see those mean tweet sections, you know, where they where you read out like the mean tweets that are written about them and it's kind of funny and all that stuff. I don't need mean tweets. I just need to share with you what I say to myself. How about you? <laughs> those statements that speak over us. In Moses' case, you're a murderer. At age 80, you're too old. At age 80, who are you to rule these people? And so the invitation of the text is for us to consider not only what have you buried, but what is keeping you buried, what is keeping you hidden. Nothing hidden can ever be healthy. And our job as followers of Jesus is to surface the things that have been buried, surface them out of the darkness, out of the dirt, and bring them into the light. And so 
What have you buried? What have you hidden? And question three is this, who is the loudest voice? You see, in that interchange in Exodus chapter two, Moses comes to the Israelites the day after the murder and they say what? They say, who made you ruler and judge over us? It was a rhetorical question intended to condemn Moses at the very heart of his identity. I can't help but think that for 40 years of his life, that question would have been stirring around his head and around his heart. That when God calls him to lead his people, Moses' response is, who made me ruler and judge? And for so many of us, these these questions, these, these voices that are speaking over us are controlling our lives. And the reality is this, is that if the voice of man is louder than the voice of God in your life, your identity will always be confused. And so we need to learn to be a people who listen out for what he has to say about us. Not what others might say or not what we might say about ourselves. When you navigate through these, these things, you find that phrases or statements, things said about you, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, are still somehow controlling the trajectory of your life. And the invitation of Moses' life is just to ask the question, whose voice is the loudest? Because as we said at the beginning, if we're gonna pursue a purpose bigger than ourselves, we have to be listening to a voice that is bigger than ourselves. We have to be listening to his voice. And then question four, where are the clues pointing? This is a shift in in this moment. But it's to say this, that even in the darkest moments of Moses' life, we actually get a clue as to who God has made him to be and what his heart is all about. In Exodus 2, he sees his people being persecuted. He sees his people being beaten up. And his cry, the cry of his heart, the song in his heart that is waiting to be sung is for justice and liberation and freedom for his people. And yet Moses doesn't have the experience or the maturity or the self-control or the wisdom to know how to live out from that place. He tries to do it his way, not God's way. But the invitation is to look back at our stories and not ignore the moments of brokenness, but to pay attention to those moments of brokenness and ask God, God, is there any clues in this moment about my heart? Maybe when you were younger, you got into trouble just getting angry about something. And maybe for the, ne- for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you've shut down those feelings because the way they express themselves were through murder or violence or, or what, anything like that. But the invitation of Exodus 2 is say, what was, what was going on in your heart in that moment? And to pause and explore and ask God, God, are there any clues in here that might tell me who I am and who I'm created to be? So of these four questions then we meet, as they say, Moses, 40 years later, he's lived a life of quiet desperation. He's lived a life hidden, a life buried, a life wandering in the desert. And God meets him at age 80 and he meets him where? He meets him at a burning bush that is burned up, but not consumed. I can't help but think it was an analogy for his own life and identity. Burned up, but not consumed. And if you're here this morning, maybe the flames of life, maybe the heat of life have burnt up a whole bunch of stuff, but you might be burned up, but not consumed. 
And out of that place of emptiness where over the last 40 years, Moses' identity has been stripped away. He's not leading people, he's leading sheep. And over that time, God meets him at that place and speaks. And he calls him into something greater than himself. In fact, God invites him into this amazing mission, leading a people from slavery to freedom, leading a people from a land of persecution to a land of promise. Because when God makes a promise, he always fills people with the purpose to make the promise real. So if we're gonna be men and women in a church who pursues purpose, we're gonna have to get really clear on what promises he's made and find out how we align our heart and our talents with those purposes to make them real. Because the church was never created to be a monument to the past. It was always created to be a movement towards the future. And if you and I are gonna be people on movement rather than people who just stand in a monument, then we're gonna have to learn how to bring all of our heart and all of our talent to the things that God really cares about. We should not live in a world where any human being is a slave. And what we're lacking is not money. We're not lacking talent. We're not lacking heart. We're just lacking the courage of people to say, I wanna give all my heart, all my talent to that. We shouldn't live in a world with diseases of despair. We shouldn't live in a world with all of the division that we experience, but what is needed is a group of men and women to say, I'm gonna bring everything that he's invested into me and I'm gonna bring it to the world. I'm gonna put it at risk. But God calls Moses into this remarkable vision. Surely God is singing the song that has been in Moses' heart this whole time. And yet Moses' response is not to join in harmony with the song. But Moses' response is to say, who am I that I should go? Now, sometimes when we ask that question, there's a sincere humility to it that is rich and good. But sometimes we use that question to get out of things. Sometimes we use that question to skip out and get off the hook from living out the purpose that God has created us for. Because why? We've got a whole bunch of excuses Right? You know what's true? God doesn't use murderers. Well, that's not true. You know what's true? God doesn't use people who've wasted the last 40 years of their life. That's not true. Whatever statements we're using to get off the hook, we have to let go and surrender them. But Moses, in response to the song that is waiting to be sung in his heart, he says, who am I that I should go? And I love how God responds to his question. God responds by sharing the intimacy of his name. Because what God knows is that to live a life of purpose, it's really, really important that, that we each get clear on our identity, on who we are. But to live a life of purpose, it is essential that we get clear not only on who we are, but first and foremost on who he is. Because to step into a story bigger than ourselves, we have to listen to a voice that is bigger than ourselves. To step into a purpose that is bigger than ourselves, we have to be connected to the one who promised that purpose. And so God calls him into that and God says, I am who I am. God's name is I am. God's name is not I was. 
that he was stuck in the past of Moses' failures. And God's name is not, I will be, that he's simply waiting for Moses to get his life in order. God's name is, I am. And the challenge of this text is that if God can call a murderer, then God can call any of us. If God can call a man who's wasted 40 years of his life and he's at age 80, nothing gets us off the hook. It's never too late for his call. And so in this journey of Moses, as we see a man wrestling with his purpose, we understand that for you and I to be people who live on purpose, love on purpose, raise families on purpose, lead on purpose, work on purpose, we have to get clear, first of all, on what we've buried, what we've hidden. And we have to make the courageous commitment to surface all of that. And I want to invite us this week to spend time asking yourself alongside him those questions. What have I buried? What have I hidden? Whose voice is the loudest? And God, where are the clues pointing? I want you to spend time with him this week asking him who you are, but create space for him to tell you who he is. Let's stand together. And we'll pray. Father, we thank you for the invitation of purpose that you invite us into a story that is bigger than ourselves. We thank you that you have invested into each of us the heart and talent that the world so desperately needs to see things on earth as they are in heaven. Help us to be a people who are committed to that purpose. Help us this week to name and acknowledge the things that we've hidden. Acknowledge the things that we've buried. And with your help to bring them into the world in fresh, creative, amazing ways. God, we thank you that when the cry of our heart is, who am I? You fill us with courage by telling us who you are. We love you today. We're so grateful for this moment. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.